Microphone check. One, two. CC. Hello and welcome at CC. Hello and welcome at one, two, three, four, five, six. She sells seashells by the seashore. She sells seashells by the seashore. There we go. Rolling. The best climbers here in Boulder would go up and do these Herculean feats up on the cliffs and then come down and you know, bag groceries at the grocery store, work at the, you know, at the pizza shop. And that, that was what really drew me to it was just these unknown superheroes in my mind, just that people can go do these things that are like what LeBron James are, are doing on some, some level, but then they just like, no, but you know, they come back and they just like in society, they just are the most humble people. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life, a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 99. And it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, the Documentary Life Podcast, and the Documentary Academy, our industry-changing A to Z documentary filmmaking program that will transform you into the documentary filmmaker that you've always wanted to be. Find out more at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. Speaking of being humble, including today's episode, over the last couple of months, we've had on the program two filmmakers representing two films that I wouldn't normally have had much interest in watching. More than that, I might have often had some preconceived notions or even, dare I say, some slight judgments about the material, or maybe more appropriately, judgments about the types of filmmaking involved or filmmakers attached to this type of material. The first of which was episode number 99, where we spoke to Bing Liu, the doc filmmaker behind Minding the Gap, a film about skateboarders, but most certainly not a film about skateboarders, if that makes sense. Bing's film, as I should have guessed, since so many in the doc community were raving about it, it was about so much more than following a few skateboarders. It had story, it had depth, it had humanity. And hey, turns out I like those things. So Bing's film should have been an eye or heart opener for me in terms of having certain ideas attached to certain types of films or filmmakers. But sure enough, when my younger sister reached out to me a couple of months back about this climbing doc, a documentary called The Dawn Wall, that was apparently all the rage, I was only mildly interested. Actually, I kind of scoffed at the notion that, one, my little sister would point out a documentary to me that I didn't know about, and two, that a climbing doc was going to appeal to anyone who, I don't know, wasn't a climber. And for the record, I actually had a brief period of my life where I was climbing. I even wrote and directed a digital feature that took place in a rock climbing community. But I was fairly certain that if I watched this film, I was probably just going to be seeing some dudes on a rock face saying rad or radical or dude a lot, high-fiving chalked hands, all the while being filmed in uber hip drony fashion or GoPro-esque types of ways. The edits would be fast-paced, in your face over music beds of really bad wannabe punk music made by 20-year-olds who wouldn't know a minor threat record if Billy Joe Armstrong had flung it at them. See? I can be a total snob about music, about books, about doc films. But you'd think I would have learned a lesson about that with Bing's film in my conversation with him. Well, if I did, apparently it was a short-lived one. 
So it took one Mr. Peter Mortimer in his film The Dawn Wall to put me to rights again. Peter's story from going from a geology student to a rock climber to running a company and festival of some of the most recognizable and beautiful climbing films in the world, coupled with the story of his chief subject, Tommy Caldwell, who went from being a skinny nobody to one of the hottest climbers around to being kidnapped at gunpoint in Kyrgyzstan to attempting one of the singularly most difficult free climbs on planet earth well yeah once again for like the zillionth time in my life i have been humbled i'm hopeful that this time maybe finally i will learn from it so when we come back from a quick word from our sponsor as well as a brief special webinar announcement i'm going to sit down with mr peter mortimer it's actually one of my more favorite conversations that i've had in quite some time i think you'll enjoy it every bit as much as i did so thank you, Doc Lifer, for once again joining me here on this podcast that we've all come to know, love, and be humbled by. This podcast and this life that we're all living, simply known as The Documentary Life. Next Friday, The Documentary Life will be marking a major milestone. After two and a half years of doing this show, we'll be hitting our 100th episode of the podcast. By now, you've probably already heard that this episode will be our final episode of Season 1, and that we'll be taking a short hiatus of three months and returning next year for Season 2. Now, this doesn't mean we won't still be providing informative and inspiring content for you. We're still going to be supporting your doc filmmaking goals, just on other platforms like the Documentary Life blog and the Documentary Life YouTube channel, where we'll be providing you with the topics, tips, and know-how that you've been asking for, as well as other valuable resources and insight. We'll also be taking this time to get to finishing our own documentary film, Elvis of Cambodia. And we'll be documenting the experience to share with you as we do. We want to invite you into the process of the making of our film. So we'll be sending you updates via the TDL Weekly Newsletter, the TDL Blog, our social media platforms, as well as our YouTube channel. We want you to be experiencing firsthand the making of our documentary film. You'll have an opportunity to learn from our experiences, and we'd also love to hear any suggestions or encouragement you might have for us. If you'd like to be kept up to date, you should definitely subscribe to the TDL newsletter by going to the documentarylife.com website. It's certainly going to take some getting used to this not creating a show every week. You know how much I love doing it and connecting with you doc lifers. But I assure you, we'll be back bigger and more badass than ever before. We can't wait for you to see what we'll have in store for you for season two of the show. Please know we have an incredible amount of gratitude for you doc lifer. And Steph and I will see you next week for the finale of season one of The Documentary Life. I have the pleasure here of bringing on to the program filmmaker Peter Mortimer. Peter, welcome to the Documentary Life podcast. Very excited to have you with us today. 
Well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. So a big part of what we will certainly talk about is your current film, The Dawn Wall, and even maybe a bigger conversation will be um, outdoor adventure or climbing documentary films as a whole. But before we get to that, Peter, what I'd love to understand from you a little bit, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background. When and how did documentary film happen for you? Yeah, so... um... I got into filmmaking right as I was finishing college. I was studying geology at Colorado College here in Colorado, <laughs> where I still live. And my last class as I was doing my geology thesis was a filmmaking workshop. I had <laughs> just I had one spare class and I could do whatever I wanted. And so I got to make these videos at the same time I was doing my thesis in geology. And it was so clear to me that I was destined for the arts and not the sciences. Um, <laughs> In your last course of your senior year. <laughs> last course of my senior year. And um, I, yeah, I just loved the, you know, everything about it, the storytelling and the collaboration yeah. and the freedom and just everything that science is not, which I have just the deepest respect for scientists and yeah. so many of my friends in that world. But it's really hard. You know, you really have to stick to the facts and really <laughs> analyze the data. And storytelling is just there's so much more uh, freedom. Latitude. And, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I went, I, I, I moved to New York for a few years and got my feet wet and was just absorbing as much as I can. And then I went back to um, grad school at USC, okay. which is a very, um, you know, much more Hollywood mainstream oriented film school. Um, but I was doing documentary projects at the time. And I just, you know, being there reconfirmed mm. for me how much I loved the documentary um, filmmaking. And so as I came out of there, just more set in my path. And so from there, Peter, when do you start making, I'm assuming you're making some doc films, obviously throughout uh, your time at USC. From there, where do you go in, t in terms of your doc filmmaking? Yeah, well, my filmmaking, so, you know, people always say, make stuff, um, make films about what you know. Yes. And when I was in New York, you know, that was a whole new world for me. I grew up in Colorado and in the outdoors. And so I was absorbing so much, but I wasn't making anything. Ah. And, um, so I really like, I was just like, what do I know? What do I know? And I had the idea to make a, a rock climbing film. I'd grown up rock climbing and, yeah. um, I was still climbing a lot. And a friend of mine, uh, and I, when we were growing up, we dreamed of doing this really scary climb here in, in uh, Colorado. And then we were like, it's time. I was like, it's time for you to do it. And I'm going to make a film about it. Oh, wow. Um, so that was the first, and it was this really sounds very like, familiar, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. And it was really like, I mean, so this was 20 years ago. Yeah. I've made, you know, I, we still make rock climbing and outdoor You've films. You've made a but few at films the time, since then. <laughs> I've made a few films since then. At the time, I thought it was just a one-off thing. Yeah. I did it as sort of as I was um, finishing the application to film school. I had a little bit of time in there, and um, yeah, it just it really was that thing where it just starts with this seed of an idea, and then just step by step, it's organically grown into, um, you know, really becoming a thing, the outdoor adventure films that we make. And, and you doing this, the, the initial one 20 years ago, can I ask what format you shot this on? 
Yeah, I shot it on the Canon XL1. The XL1, baby. <laughs> Still my favorite camera. For oh, it. I love the form the, factor. Um, it's so fun to use. It's so cool. It's like just holding that camera yeah. and just the look and feel of it. It's a beautiful camera. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and quite frankly, cameras have gotten so completely away from that form factor. It's, a, it's yeah, I I love that term, form yeah. factor. Yeah, it's like, um, thanks for making boxes, guys. Thanks for the box. <laughs> it's funny how that's changed. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So you made it with the XL1. And what did you do? I'm curious, early on, it being sort of your first... Uh, your first foray into a lar- you know, a longer length dock. What did you do with the dock at that point? Yeah, so I had gone around the town of Boulder where I'd grown up, and I knew a lot of people from climbing. And I was I was back here at my parents' house yeah. while I was trying to get in school, and I made a short film, like a five minute video, with some friends, and I put together a proposal. And I sent it around to all the like um, the local outdoor shop and the local climbing gym uh-huh. and um, a company that made climbing shoes. I mean, Boulder is really even at that time was the hub of climbing in America. Totally. And um, I asked them each for fifteen hundred dollars, yep. and I got. I think I raised about ten thousand wow. dollars. And one of the companies that I went to was Climbing Magazine, which yeah. was the big the big climbing magazine. And in exchange for making for um, instead of giving me money for the film, they ran a they were going to run a full page ad in the oh, magazine. Wow! Um, and then they also wanted to put on a screening event here in Boulder. Brilliant. And um, so they put this event together. And it was, they rented out the Boulder Theater, which is a thousand seat theater. At the time, it just seemed like. Peter, did they agree to, I got to ask you, did they agree to do this before even seeing your film or after seeing the film? Well, they had seen my short film. Okay. And um, so, no, this was all based on a proposal. And I mean, this was a, this is a very, I mean, climbing at the time was a very grassroots, close knit community. Yes. I mean, it was not what, Rock climbing now has, you know, I just heard they have 5 million um, <laughs> participants. Like it's bigger than surfing. That's in amazing. Participation. Yeah. You know, it's going to be an Olympic sport in 2020. Um, you know, people like Alex Honnold and like Tommy Caldwell, these guys are becoming household names. Yeah. Um, this was not, climbing was like, you know, you got the best climbers here in Boulder would go up and do these Herculean feats up on the cliffs yeah. and then come down and, <laughs> you know, bag groceries at the grocery store, That's right. yeah, yeah. The, you know, at the pizza shop. And that, that was what really drew me to it beyond just loving to do it was just these, these unknown superheroes in yeah. my mind. I mean, I just, I've always loved that counterculture and, um, just that people can go do these things that are like what LeBron James are, are doing on some <laughs> some level, yeah. but then they just like nobody, you know, they come back and they just like in society they just are the most humble. <laughs> That's right, of, yeah. Um, people. So yeah, so they so um, yeah, so climbing climbing magazine, um, they um, yeah they ran the full page ad and they rented this theater out in Boulder and it was really funny because it was a thousand seat theater and there was no precedent for this in the climbing world and so we had no idea if people were going to show up my parents were so terrified about me 
being humiliated by showing my film in an empty <laughs> thousand seat theater. They bought 50 tickets and invited like all of their friends. And so they said, okay, at least there'll be 50 old people sitting here in the, in the front of the theater. Cheering, Who will never cheering. go out climbing ever. <laughs> they will never go out climbing. And I remember it was a December night and it was snowing. And I think, you know, we had sold about 200 tickets ahead of time. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, okay, cool. Like, we're not going to embarrass ourselves. That's and right, I great. went up to, I went up to the theater, and there was a line around the block, like literally around the block. Like the line made a full <laughs> square block, and they sold out the theater. Yeah. And they turned away two or three hundred people. Like yeah. I'm really not exaggerating. Yeah. I mean, the and it be it was just this crystallizing moment. Like, okay, this this subculture this underground community is so passionate ah. people are you know they are willing to stand in the snow to go see some video that's <laughs> from some guy they've never heard of just to like go out and you know and be and celebrate and and um you know be a part of this and so that really is the seed i mean wow. of everything we've built is that not only in boulder is there that community but like in every town across the world. Right, right, um, right, so, right. So that was, that's really what we've been building over the last 20 years is just connecting with those communities. Amazing. And so what, I guess how, how soon after that, Peter, did you realize, okay, you know what, not only was this certainly my calling, but these are the types of films that I'm going to do now. How soon was it after that um, that you really sort of fam or formally sort of made that decision, whether it's through founding Sender Films or, or what have you? How, how soon after that uh, experience did that happen for you? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it still hasn't. <laughs> I'm still like, is this really what I'm, am I still going to keep doing this? Yeah. I think what's ha what happened was, so that that experience was right before I went to grad school. And then, you oh, know, at U.S. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. So that was all happening. Like, and then, so, you know, at USC, you get really exposed to mainstream Hollywood in a wonderful right. way. I right. mean, the people who come in as guest speakers in your classes are, you know, the, the, you know, great screenwriters and agents and directors yeah. and producers. And so I was seeing that and I did an internship at MGM studios. Mm -hmm. And, um, at the same time I was doing that, um, you know, which was really exciting. I was also getting, starting to get attention in the climbing world yeah. and companies were coming to me like, you know, with small budgets and saying, Hey, we, we, would you be interested in, you yeah. know, going out with some of our athletes and doing a film type thing? Right. And so I was kind of balancing these two, these two worlds while, when I was at USC. So were you and accepting then, those projects then? I, I did. Yeah. yeah. Like, okay. um, you know, like I would go do a summer project right. or I'd go out and I mean, they were, they were kind of smaller projects. Um, but then coming out of USC, Right at that time, I did get, um, you know, I think it was maybe fifty or sixty thousand dollars to, to go do like a forty-five minute film. Uh -huh. And at that time, you know, the way I was doing this was, like, it was me, and I would often invite out a buddy to shoot a second camera with me, right. and then I would just take the stuff back and edit it on my computer. And I mean, the quality is, was so like even. I, I look back at the filmmaking now and it's like, I can't even show that stuff to people. 
Um, but there was something about the spirit and, oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And, and just the wide eyedness and just my, my love and passion and, and the care. I, you know, I think right away, like climbing is just so full of characters. Characters. Right. Um, right. And then you're in these incredible locations that, you know, people haven't seen. And, um, you know, we were really trying to do some cool high angle filming and just bring different perspectives to it. And, um, so it was, you and know, then the was, GoPro came out and that changed everything. <laughs> then the, I know it's, yeah, that's totally, totally. And I mean, there's been, there's been the GoPro and then now, I mean, drones. Yeah. In the last oh years yeah. God, have yeah. Been the most shocking change That's right. Um, in the outdoor space. So are you calling yourself sender films at this point, this early on or not? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep, I kind of I kind of started calling myself Sender Films. The big the big evolution for us was I I invited I had a friend who I'd gone to college with who um, went to Columbia Journalism School, mm. but he was a climber too. Mm, mm. And I I brought him out. His name is Nick Rosen, and I brought him out um, for six months to live in my house. I moved back to Boulder after grad school yeah. and to to write on a film with me. I had, I was working this project. I wanted him to come in as a writer and was this he, a doc project was, or a narrative? It was a doc project, yeah, but okay. just to really help with, we had some narration and some just really help with the weaving of the script yep. and, and just the interviews and just this, just try to try to take the storytelling to the next level. Yeah. And, um, that was 15 years ago and he's a full partner um, <laughs> of mine at sender films. And then I had another friend, Josh Lowell, who was on the East Coast, yeah. who was making climbing videos. Uh, and I see. Okay. So he and I, um, you know, we'd each, this was a, a couple years later. We, um, we just, you know, we were always, we we're kind of collaborating. We climbed together and we we're good friends. And then we had the idea for the Real Rock Tour, which was combining, you know, his films and my films and starting an annual film tour. Right. And so that was 14, 14 years ago. And that's kind of become our, that's the foundation of a lot of what we do. So in talking about the real rock films, was this initially, was it always meant to be part of a tour, an annual tour that you would do with, with real rock or were these films that were made to be distributed, uh, distributed, uh, prior to a tour, if that makes sense, because if you, go, I, I yeah. guess what I mean is when you go to your website, right, you can, you can purchase any one of these real rock films. So which came yes. first, the distribution on the website or the tours? Yeah. So the idea with the real rock tour was that this would be the theatrical world premiere mm. of all of our new content. I got you. And okay. so we essentially became a distribution company That's right. as well as a production company yeah. when we started Real Rock. And I, I love the distribution side of it. Um, I oh, love thinking about it and strategizing. And um, not, it's many, just really, not many filmmakers say that. That's brilliant. Yeah. And one of the cool things about it is that we bring in other filmmakers in the space yeah. and real rock has become, you know, so now we do 500 cities across the world wow. each year. Um, you know, I think 150,000 people come out to the real rock screen to this actual screenings each year. Unbelievable. And so it's become the biggest venue for climbing and, um, content. Yeah. And so what's really neat is all the athletes, 
want to be on it. Um, you know, a lot of the sponsors want to part- want to support it and 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 have presence there. And then filmmakers who have ideas in this space come to us. Mm. So we get we get pitched, you know, probably forty or fifty ideas per year. And the last couple of years, half of the real rock content has come from other filmmakers. Oh wow, um, that's brilliant. So yeah, so we bring them, and we we always we kind of we still curate the whole thing. I mean, yeah. we have, you know, we are filmmakers. We don't want to just completely turn it over. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we bring them in and then, you know, we, we kind of almost act more as executive producers, um, in it's, a perfect yeah, it sounds situ- like it. situation. That's gotta be so gratifying to, to be not only early, you know, early in involved in that community, but now you're really shaping it in many ways. And, and people are coming to you and they're creating works of art based on being inspired by your festival in many ways. Oh man, it is. So the climbing community has grown so much mm. in the last 20 years. It is like, I mean, I think as filmmakers, we've been incredibly lucky to, mm. in some ways, we're, we're, we're riding this wave that was already happening because of climbing gyms and yeah, right. um, just, you know, all these brands, like right when we were starting these brands, like Patagonia and the North Face and Cliff Bar, were just starting to sort of break out of, <sighs> of the core and, and selling this image of climbing and these, you know, oh, the yeah. same image in our films. And so... On the one hand, I do feel like we're, you know, really like we're able to contribute to that. And that feels, you know, really redeeming. Um, on the other hand, we've been so lucky to ride this wave mm. of watching this sport go from from a tiny, tiny subculture that was really underground yeah. to, you know, and I mean, according to the metrics, like bigger than surfing in some ways. When you see El Capitan for the first time, I mean, it takes your breath away. Early in the morning, there's this one panel of the wall that illuminates first, the Dawn Wall. It has never been climbed until Tommy Caldwell came along. Nobody had actually considered trying it. It's like stepping off the edge of the earth. I guess the question here is, why are you doing this? I was this very fragile little kid. He didn't crawl till he was over two. I think my dad felt the best way to prepare this kid for the world was to toughen him up a little bit. And so he took me on all the craziest climbing walls you could ever do, and he did it with a six-year-old. <laughs> By the time I was 14 or 15, there was climbs that I could do that my dad couldn't. Tommy became one of the best young climbers. And then we got invited to Kyrgyzstan to rock climb. And all of a sudden, we we're hostages. After being held captive for six days, four young Americans confront the ultimate choice to kill or be killed. He saved their lives. But he became a different person. Ever since Kyrgyzstan, I just have this fire in me. This has always been my safe place, my way to deal with life. And was looking across at the Dawn Wall, the last unclimbed big swath of stone, I decided. Maybe that could be climbed. I needed a partner. Kevin, he was one of the best in the world. It only up to about 30 feet. But everybody else thought I was crazy. At this point, I have no idea what I'm getting into. It's about to consume six years of my life. This is a pipe dream, man. Come on. 
Nothing left to do but just take a couple deep breaths. If Tommy and Kevin can actually do this, it will be... Come on! Oh, the most difficult climb ever done. And it's going to go on day after day. Suddenly, the whole world was watching. You okay, man? And one of them stuck. Oh. It was pretty clear that that was it. I don't want to hold you back. Maybe this climb really was impossible. No! We are capable of so much more than we could ever imagine. Let's turn our conversation to your recent feature-length documentary project, The Dawn Wall, which is making all kinds of noise, uh, not only in the climbing community, but in documentary uh, period. And I have recently just finished watching the film, and I have to say, um, I, I don't even know how to preface this, uh, Peter, but uh, when I first learned about this film, actually, I, I, owe, I owe this to uh, my sister, who is a big climber. And uh, her and her husband have been climbing for years. And and she reached out to me, uh, I don't know, a couple of months ago and and informed me of, of, of the Dawn Wall. And uh, my <laughs> my initial reaction was like, oh, yeah, sure, Joe. Great. Uh, another another climbing doc. That's just what I want to watch. And uh, and sort of having this idea in my head what climbing docs were. Um, and I, and I, and I almost sort of equated it to like skateboarding docs. I'm like, you know, it's not going to hold my interest. It's just going to be a bunch of like GoPro and drone footage and certain types of dudes. And, and so I had this sort of idea in my head. Right. And then I watched your trailer. And then of course I, uh, pretty quickly contacted you and, uh, and, and it's because of what I saw in the trailer and because of what I have since seen in this film. And it is so much uh, broader and so much more hum human than I think that, uh, that um, certainly than what I was thinking and what I have just described. And uh, it is a powerful film. It is a powerful story. And uh, I'm excited to talk with you about it. <laughs> That's so cool. Thank you. Yeah, we I'm. It's definitely my favorite film to share that we've we've ever done. I mean, it's the biggest it's the biggest story we've ever tried to tell. I'm, I can only imagine. So why don't we start this part of the conversation off with you giving us a synopsis, a short synopsis. Tell us what the Dawn Wall is about and then how how you started to become um, how this started to become a film for you from the very beginning. Yeah. So the Dawn Wall is in some ways it's the story of Tommy Caldwell and his journey to do the hardest, sort of most significant rock climb of our generation. Yeah. Um, it's really a climb that people will talk about 100 years from now yeah. as like a, a generation-defining climb. It's also, that's kind of what it started as. It also became a buddy movie between Tommy, um, who was a legendary climber, and his partner, Kevin Jorgensen, yeah. who was a young... Um, sort of upstart who joined on with Tommy and, um, you know, they almost started as an odd couple. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> through, through the years, they made these incredible sacrifices for each other in order to achieve this climb. And I think what I love about the film is that, you know, the message of, um, well, there's so many messages in there I love, but what I love is that it, it becomes not about the success on the climb, but yeah. about the significance of relationships and partnerships. It and, sure does. 
and uh, what people will do for other people. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's sort of, I mean, we've been, we spent two and a half years after they finished the climb yeah. um, editing and the whole, we just kept going and going and our distributors were like, I think it's good. I think it's good. We're like, it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> and we, the number of times we said to ourselves, we're never going to get to tell another story like this. Uh, we have, we have to get this right. Like we have, we have to, right. to, we have to like, we have to take what they did on, I mean, they spent, and I can go into more detail, but you know, they spent seven years That's right. trying to puzzle together how to do this climb and then actually to be able to do it. And so we felt like we owed it to, to those guys and to ourselves to, you know, put in the time it took to, well, to and, puzzle, puzzle and that's, and that's just it there, Peter, you're really hitting on something there for us doc filmmakers, which is we spend these extraordinary, sometimes extraordinary amounts of time telling, um, telling someone's story or, 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 uh, you know, a group of people's stories and, and there is a sense of at some point when you spend so much time with another person or persons telling their story as a filmmaker, you really start to have the sense that, um, or at least I do. And I know a lot of, a lot of filmmakers feel this, feel this way. We, it's an honor to be able to film and tell someone's story, number one. And secondly, because of that, it's not something that we doc filmmakers take lightly. And we know that you know, in many ways, this is our shot to tell that person or person's story. And that's a really important thing, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely. It absolutely. And I think when you, when, I mean, once you've captured that, the essential elements of that story on camera, it, yeah, it becomes your story. <laughs> so That's right. That's right. Now, how do you how do you get someone like Tommy Caldwell to agree to 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 do this doc? I mean, I imagine there could have been any number of people who would have loved to have done this story. Why did Tommy allow you guys to film? Yeah. So Tommy was someone who as a teenager, he became a climbing prodigy and became quite a public figure yeah. in the very small world of climbing. And we began filming with him, you know, years before he began this journey. Wow. Um, I mean, his whole life led to this journey, but really before yeah. he, fo he focused in on the Dawnwall. And so we had done short films for the Real Rock Tour and for our other films. Um, my partner, Josh Lowell, had a very close relationship with Tommy. Mm. And it was just kind of... You know, I think up to that time, um, people outside of the climbing world weren't particularly interested in trying to tell, <laughs> trying to follow Tommy the way we were. Right. And um, we were his friends. Yeah. You know, we were just part of this community. And so he, when he dove into the Dawn Wall, um, as you know, we lay out in the movie, it was a really dark time in his life. He'd gone through a divorce yeah. and he'd had a couple like really harrowing life experiences including chopping one of his fingers off which yeah. is like a pianist chop, chopping a finger off as for a climber it's you know it's one of the most important appendages on your body right and not um, to mention one particular backstory that is just astounding for anybody who doesn't know what has happened yeah so he had yeah i mean just to delve into that a little bit he you know when he was um just just to just out of his teenage years had um gone on his first international expedition 
um, to Kyrgyzstan, which is this sort of beautiful paradise of granite walls in yeah. east, in um, you know, between in sort of in the Balkans or east of the Balkans a little. I don't know exactly how you describe that region. Um, and while they were climbing there, they were taken hostage by a rebel group that was basically fighting with the Kyrgyz government. And they were used as human soldiers right. in this week-long, or human shields in this week-long battle between the rebels and the government um, as they were sort of just like like journeying through the mountainside. <laughs> yeah. The rebels were trying to hide from the government. I mean, it's really, it's kind of a crazy story. And at one point, the group of climbers, of four climbers, were left alone with one of the rebels on a mountain pass and they saw this as a chance to push the rebel off and escape and nobody was able to take action the the other climbers in the group were older more experienced um just had been through a lot more but it was you know it was this they weren't able to take action like i imagine i would not have been able to mm. And Tommy, as sort of the youngest um, and simplest, realized that this was the opportunity and he was the one to do it. And so he pushed the um, rebel off a cliff That's right. and, they ran, and they ran to safety. Um, this was a major life-defining event for Tommy. He you know, was both sort of haunted by it, but also empowered by it yeah. because, and I think that's often what happens in traumatic situations is the person who takes action comes out more empowered than the people um, who are more victims of the situation. And Tommy, who sort of sees the world through the, through the vessel of climbing, you know, I think realized coming out of this that he had um, the potential to do so much more than he thought he did mm. before that experience. And he applied that to climbing. And, right. you know, that was sort of, again, years before the dawn wall, but yeah. the beginning of him going That's from like the beginning of that journey for sure. Yeah. Before that, he was a climbing prodigy. After that, he was, you know, a, a generation defining athlete. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah but so many more ups and downs that, you know, led him to sort of, I mean, when he went to the Dawn Wall, so he was 29, I believe, when he sort of, he'd gone through a divorce and he'd kind of lost everything in his life. And he went through the, he, he, he threw himself wholeheartedly into the Dawn Wall. And, you know, it was at the time, the impossible climb. That's right. like no one imagined it would be climbed and no one, even us, didn't think that Tommy would do it. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, really, we you know, thought that's, we that's, that's, that's an interesting point. And I'll, and I'll stop you there because, you know, as, as the filmmaker, Peter, or filmmakers, are you thinking, you know, okay, well, what do we do with this? Are you shaping at all a story in your minds whereby Tommy is not successful? Or are you like, you know, this is hinges on, on his success. How are you, how are you dealing with that? Yeah, we, I don't, I can't remember, <laughs> but because I, there was, there's something about Tommy. And if you know, Tommy, if you get to ever sit down with him, which I, I hope you do at some point, <laughs> he's just a guy you bet on. He's just a guy who you're like, 
you it almost transcends like success or failure like when he's passionate about something mm -hmm. and he's allowing you to film that or partake in that wow. you just do it yeah. like yeah. um and so we and you know we never tried to find funding for the film every year he would go up there and you know we would take our core crew so we wouldn't bring a lot of outside people in we do it as, and, as and tell, and tell us who the core crew is uh, what what the makeup is yeah so it was josh lowell my partner his brother brett lowell who's our main cinematographer okay. um cory rich who's a photographer and an outdoor photographer and has a really successful commercial business and um is a good also a good friend um kyle burkumpus myself nick rosen just just those of us who are essentially willing to invest time right with minimal financial investment right um and just wanted to be a part of it and so we would go up there and film with him he, you know he would go up on the wall and sort of swing around he'd live up there for weeks on end yeah. and we were just like we don't know where this is going but we've got it we've got to follow Lately, we here at the Documentary Life podcast have been really ramping up our free live webinar events. It's a great way to learn the aspects of doc filmmaking from the experts in the field, as well as engage directly with the expert in a live Q&A setting. We've already had some great sessions so far, and our one coming up on December 4th will be no different. A few short weeks ago, it was episode 94, we had on the show acclaimed doc filmmaker and author John Reese. John is the author of Think Outside the Box Office, a book that details his and others' experiences with independent film distribution, a subject that John has since become recognized as a veritable expert on. Not surprisingly, this was an episode that was pretty popular, speaking to a lot of the DIY sensibilities of you doc lifers. And so we've invited him to host a live webinar with us to further explore the subject of documentary distribution, to be followed by a live Q&A session in which you get to ask any and all of your pressing distro questions, of which I know that there are many. I get your emails and I see your posts in the TDL community Facebook group. There always seems to be a desire to break the code of distribution of our films. If you'd like to attend this live event, which happens on Tuesday, December 4th at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here in the U.S., simply go to thedocumentarylife.com to sign up. I'll post a link up in the show notes for this episode, and you can also find links to it throughout the Documentary Life website. Attending and participating in the live event is free to all listeners of the program, you just need to make sure and sign up by, again, going to thedocumentarylife.com. This is going to be a great opportunity for you, Doc Lifer, to engage directly with a film distribution expert. So get your questions ready and sign up today. Okay, hands up. Who here is living a documentary life? Would you say that you are? What does it mean to live a documentary life anyway? Well, we'll happily give you our definition. To us, living your documentary life means that you have crafted your lifestyle in a way such that you are able to make the documentary films you choose to make without it negatively impacting other aspects of your life, be that financial, your immediate relationships, or personal wellness. And furthermore, through the creation of your art, your existence is sustainable, creative, and fulfilling. Would you say this describes you? If not, is this something that you want for yourself? 
It was what we wanted for ourselves, and it took us quite a while to achieve it. Truthfully, there were many times we didn't think we'd make it at all. We were living in a world that was reactive rather than proactive, and it was costing us greatly. If any of this resonates with you, we'd like to help you find a better way. Because once we were able to honestly say we were living our documentary lives, we could look back and see what had gotten us there, and we knew we had to share it with others. We broke it all down and put it into Living Your Documentary Life, a program that helps you to craft your own lifestyle, relationships, and mindset in ways that empower you to make your best documentary films. You can find out more at thedocumentarylife.com slash your doc life. Come on, Tommy. Come on. What might be helpful, I think, here is I would love to visualize literally what this looks like in terms of setups. So if Tommy is up on the Dawn Wall doing his thing, where are you guys and how are you like where are you guys positioned and how are you getting set to do that? Because obviously you're not climbing up per se with him. Are you guys rappelling down from the top to get into your positions? How does this look? Yeah. So the Dawn Wall is 3,000 feet of dead vertical to overhanging rock. If you stood on top of the Dawn Wall and dropped a rock from the top, it would land a couple hundred feet out from the base of the wall. I mean, it's really sure. It's, I, I believe it's the sheerest, longest, sheerest rock face on planet Earth. Oh, wow. I mean, I don't think there's anything as clean and beautiful as the Dawn Wall. And what's amazing, it's in Yosemite National Park on El Capitan, and you can actually hike around to the top. Yeah. So you actually can stand at the top and drop a rock off and people illegally base jump off the top of it all the time. And, <laughs> um, I mean, it's a really one of the most spectacular um, formations on, on earth. Yeah. And so when Tommy started, you know, he was, when he started, he was by himself. So he, he hiked around the top and rappelled in. So he hiked around with, you know, loads and loads of gear. He probably did multiple trips and brought, you know, a couple hundred pounds of gear up yeah. there, um, including thousands of feet of rope. And he rappelled down right to the middle of the wall, which is the blankest, sheerest part. And that he knew if one day he would ever be able to climb the Dawn Wall, he would have to figure out how to get across this section. That's the traverse section, right? The traverse at the time, he didn't even know it was going to be the traverse. Uh, he was just like, there's just this big, like 500 feet up and 500 feet across, like truly, truly blank, like pane of glass blank. <laughs> and so he, but he, you know, I mean, I say pane of glass, but they're, you know, it's granite and granite does have texture and it does have little dike veins and little yeah. cracks that form and stuff. So there were things but it was blanker than anything anyone had ever climbed (laughs) or dreamed of climbing right so he went right to the hardest part and he set up a portal edge which is a hanging cot in um that you know fastens to the side of the wall that you can sleep inside a kind it's like a tent that hangs from the wall and so he was sleeping inside there and then when our film crew was with him we would do the exact same thing Uh. we would bring our own ropes. We would hike up to the top. 
rappel in and set up our hanging cot right next to him. <laughs> and oh then what, what he would do is at night he would sleep in the, in the tent. And then the morning he would have these ropes and he would either go up the rope with, um, Jumars or he would rappel down the rope to the section of the wall that he wanted to practice yeah. to try to figure out. And we would just get into position and, you know, and again, I say we like I, my actual filming on the wall was so minimal compared like, you know, Brett Lowell was really the, the main Brett and Josh Lowell were really the main cinematographers on okay. the wall. Yeah. And so they would get into position and, you know, sometimes hang out there for seven or eight hours in the same spot <laughs> while, and just, just filming, you know, and that was kind of at the beginning. And then Kevin Jorgensen joined Tommy. Yeah. And then it was the two of them trying together. Um, and then that's great because you have the, the dynamic and the relationship and, you know, they're trying to work it out together. And that went on for seven years. <laughs> so, <laughs> so every you know, summer, everybody's getting ready for their trip out to Yosemite, huh? Yeah. And it's actually not in the summer because in the summer it gets so hot. There ah, you okay. You can't climb. So it was in the fall and the spring. Yeah. And then um, one of the things that Tommy and Kevin realized was that the colder the rock, the better. So they kept going later and later into the fall yeah like, and later into um, the night <laughs> and later into the night yeah so when we were filming that i mean so for the first couple of years it was just like this is amazing and we're always self-funding it and you know it was an investment of time and mm. as little money as possible and then we would sometimes like i remember we sold a little footage to um to like a tourism agency one year yeah. um we put a couple short films on real rock because the whole climbing world was talking about you know is tommy ever you know he basically bet his entire career on this thing yeah. and it was like is he gonna do this no way and so we would put little update short films um on the tour to um about his progress you know from that year's filming and it wasn't until so it so in 2014 or 2015 it was right at the end of the year they started on december 28th and it wasn't until they did it so they started december 28th and they spent 19 days on the wall yeah sleeping and they started at the bottom and they climbed every single pitch yeah without falling i mean sometimes they would fall on a pitch and they'd go back to the beginning of right. that pitch they climbed every single pitch con continuously to the top. Um, when they were halfway up the wall on day eight, a, a writer for the New York Times did a story that ended up on the you know the front and center of their website. <laughs> yeah, it was changed everything. <laughs> cover of their sports page, and it all of a sudden it it brought national uh, international attention yeah. um, to the climb, and then this you know. I'll leave it to the viewer, to people to watch the yeah. film to find out. But this incredible drama unfolded unfolds the up there on the, the Trevor section. <laughs> yeah. You know, can I and, ask you as a filmmaker, yeah. you know, once suddenly now suddenly the eyes of the world are on this story and here you guys have been up here for six over six years filming, right? Or, or however long you guys were filming. And, and uh, one, are these outlets reaching out to you for footage and two, yeah. How are you doing? just dealing with this whole media onslaught yeah so yeah so one 
yes, the outlets were reaching out to us for footage and we, you know, we tried to accommodate them where we thought it was appropriate. Yeah. Um, a lot of the coverage was great. You know, the New York Times coverage was really smart. They were doing 3D models of the of the film and stuff. And then there was a whole nother layer of coverage that was just like hilariously um, confused. (laughs) It's in the film, right? (laughs) Yeah. And we had some fun with that in the film because I I think that's a funny part of the story. Yeah. um, Because that's, you know, that it is climbing has rules. It's like chess, you know, there's rules of the game. And if you don't understand the rules of the game, it can be a little bit opaque (laughs) (laughs) to an outsider. And so we, um, yeah. And then my partner, Josh was, he was running our film team on the ground and he kind of became the point person for all the media. Okay. Um, Cause they were trying, you know, that you do have cell reception on the side of El Capitan. Yeah. And so everyone was contacting Tommy and Kevin. And at some point it's like, we got to keep the, the world off the wall. Yeah. Like that, that is the hallowed space of the climbers and our intimate film crew. And we just had to keep the world off the wall. And they coordinated with Josh who was on the ground yeah. and then all any media or anything went through him. You know, what was great about it is that they, after they did the climb, all of a sudden this documentary that we had been self-funding for mm. seven years, had no idea what was going to come of it. You know, we basically had every, um, you know, we had offers for the film from, <laughs> from all sorts of people. And, you know, we had sold our last film to discovery channel and, you know, they wanted to buy it. And, um, you know, we ended up at that time, um, selling the film to Red Bull media house. Right. Um, and so that was, that was, that was great. You know, it's, it's helped us get the film out to the world in a bigger way and to, you know, get, make some money from our, you know, investment of time. Exactly. Exactly. And tell us, how is it out into the world in a bigger way right now? So, so we, so the life of the film, so we, we spent essentially three years, um, in post-production piecing the film together because we, um, had to interweave, you know, Tommy's backstory with this 19 day ascent. And Kevin's backstory as well, and the seven years of those guys t- trying to climb together. And so that was a real puzzle. And that was um, just, you know, I think we have 150 different versions of how we weaved that together <laughs> before <laughs> we landed on something that we really liked. And, you know, we were bringing in doc filmmakers. Um, like there's a guy, David Zeef. I don't know if you know him, mm. but he's a, amazing smart like doc filmmaker out of new york and you know he would do like a week consultation with us and and he knows he knows nothing about climbing i mean yeah and he's just like what the heck and i remember we had one (laughs) test screening um at a friend's house here and there was about 25 people there and I think 20 of them knew about climbing and, or maybe 15 knew about climbing and five knew a little bit and five knew nothing. And the climbers in this test screening were like, that's the best. Oh my God, that's the biggest film. That's the best film mm. we've ever seen. And we go up for a Q and a after and kind of people were saying that. And then 
my friend uh, Michael Eisner, who's another filmmaker, he raised his hands and he says, I have no idea what the hell just happened. <laughs> like, Tommy had a baby while he was on the wall for 19 days. Like, what? Like, I mean, he just was like, and then, and I was, and everyone was looking at this guy like, what? Are you crazy? Oh, and that's I said, great. And, and I looked around, I was like, does anyone else, you know, like feel the way Michael does? Yeah. And, and, you know, two other people who were like, not as um, outspoken as Michael sort of looked around and sheepishly raised their hands. And they were like, we had no idea what that movie was about. Ah, and, it's um, so, so, so helpful, isn't it? Well, so from that point, I brought Michael became my go-to guy mm. in the next six months. He came in once a week for or once a month at least and would do these full day sessions wow. with me. And yeah. just we would pick apart every section of the film where he'd be like, I'm lost. I'm confused. Yeah. I mean, we would just be watching. He'd be like, nope, what? Like, and that was, I mean, I think that was that along with, um, you know, some of the work with David Zeef was what got it to be a much, um, a much more broader film. And I, I, think I, it's, think, I think it's pretty evident, certainly to, to someone like myself in watching this story of the amount of time and care that you guys took into really not only pulling off the film itself, but even more so the story itself. It is, it is so well done and so clearly uh, thought out and so much time and energy went into this project in many ways. Uh, not unlike Tommy's journey up on the wall. And I think that's something I really appreciated with the film and the filmmaking aspect of it. Thank you. So Peter, how can we see the film? So yeah, so the film came out in um, mid-September theatrically. We combined Fathom One Night Events with uh, a limited release um, screenings that started in New York and LA. And, you know, that's been doing pretty well for the yeah. last couple of months we've passed the million dollar um box office threshold which is wow. a great great barometer for a doc and so on, on november 20th it's um released on itunes and um yeah fantastic so this will be released uh, roughly four days from the release of this particular episode i can't wait for 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 really more of the world to see it it has been a success story on so many levels already the film is the dawn wall i've been speaking with peter mortimer peter uh what an exciting conversation thank you so much for being on the program like i said i look forward to seeing further success with the dawn wall as well as what you're doing with sender films Thanks so much for having me. This was really fun. And uh, congrats on such a, such a great podcast. It's really cool what you're doing. Thanks, Peter. Don't forget, if you're looking to live and lead a documentary life, you need to head over to thedocumentarylife.com slash yourdoclife and take a look at our Living Your Documentary Life program. We'll help you craft your lifestyle so that you are able to make the documentary films that you want to make and live the doc life you want to live. Mm -hmm.